We're going to finish up our series that we're presently in entitled Broken People, Faithful God. It's been a study out of the book of Judges. And I was chatting with uh, Amanda Sullivan a few weeks ago, and she said she was in a particular class, and this individual had said, I've never, I've never been a part of a series out of the book of Judges, and frankly, neither had we. And so we have been on an adventure looking at some incredible characters from Scripture. And interestingly enough, there's, uh, there has been some fascinating some fascinating conversations that we've had, and really some principles that are very, very poignant for our lives in 2018. Today we're going to talk about Samson, Samson. And one of the, uh, the phrases that has been, that we have gone to again and again over the weeks is this phrase, breaking faith results in broken lives, but a faithful God restores faith and hope. And one of the things that we've discovered when you study the book of Judges is that Israel went through a cycle time and time again of breaking faith with God and that there was brokenness connected to that. But in every occasion, God's faithfulness came through and restored the hope and gave them what was necessary, the the hope and then the faith that they would find in him. So today we're going to talk about Samson. As I reflect uh, on my life, I'm grateful for the heritage that I have as a uh, you know, my three out of my four grandparents followed Christ. My parents were in ministry for 60 years. My, my mother and father-in-law were pastors. And we just have a great heritage. I'm really blessed by all of that. And I, kind of, I grew up in the church. This is something that's very, uh, very familiar to me. I guess you could say I kind of grew up on the second row of the church. That was my life. Every time the doors were open, I was a part of it. And that was good. It, I, I, loved every, I loved every minute of it. One of the things I especially loved were the Bible stories. And I can, you know, placing myself in the middle of a story, and some of the individuals that we've talked about over the, the course of these last few weeks, we've talked about Gideon, we've talked about Deborah, Jephthah. These are great characters. And one of the, probably the greatest, char- one of the greatest characters in the Old Testament is Samson. And there's a lot to be learned about his life, and I think we can draw some great practical applications for our journey of faith from his life. So we're going to do that this morning for a few moments. Judges chapter 13, verses 24 and 25, we use this as really the framework to begin our conversation this morning. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Let's pray. Thanks, Lord, for your word this morning. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. A few things to just get our conversation started. The first is that Samson was the last of the 12 judges, as, and specifically in the book of Judges. Now, you could continue on in 1 Samuel, and you're going to read about a man by the name of Eli and then a man by the name of Samuel. And really, the judges' period of time come to an end when Samuel passes on the, the mantle of leadership to, to David, or to Saul, rather, when the monarchy begins in Israel. But of the, of the classical judges in the book of Judges, Samson is the last. In, in chapter 13, verse number 1, we read these words. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. This is the 12th time that this cycle has occurred, in full or in part. They did evil again 
in the eyes of the Lord. But this time is really interesting. God delivers them into the hands of the Philistines. He gives them over to them. But then you read this, for 40 years, for 40 years, a literal, a biblical generation of time, they have been oppressed by the Philistines. The the Philistines will be thorns in their flesh for decades. They won't be completely subdued until David's time. But what is so fascinating about this to me is that it seems as if Israel has just given in to their to their condition of life. Well, 40 years, Philistines are the ones in charge. That's just the way it is. In some respects, it became their new normal. Their new normal. I thought about that, and I I wonder, here's a phrase for you. Let's be careful. Let's be careful never to settle for less than what God has for us. Let us be careful to never settle for less than what God has for us. And I think in some respects, it's exactly what Israel did. They settled for less. They just gave in. Well, Philistines, they're they're the ones that are in charge. 40 years. I don't want my life to be characterized by just settling for something less than what God has for me. And I would encourage all of us the same. It's a great passage of Scripture. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Very familiar, but look at what what it reads. For I know the plans, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. So the Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God has plans for us that are good. Let's not settle for something less. Second thought about Samson is that Samson had a very unique birth. You read about the story of Samson, chapters 13 through 16 of the book of Judges. You find out that his, his mother is never named in the story. I, I don't know that why particularly, but she's never named. His father was named Manoah. But both Samson's mother and Manoah were unable to have children. They, were, they had no children. But an angel appeared to Samson's mother and said, you're going to have a baby. And then begins to unpack what this is going to look like. It is really interesting to me that God intervenes in a situation where there seems to be an impossibility. Yet God comes to them and says, you're going to have a child, and they indeed had a child. God is going to accomplish his plans. God will accomplish his plans, and there's no obstacle too great that he cannot overcome. God is the one who is able to do something above and beyond what we can think, even when the natural side of life It doesn't appear that there can be anything possible. God, one more time, this phrase, God will accomplish his plans. There's no obstacle too great that he cannot overcome. I'm grateful for that. Samson, the third thought is that Samson was to be a Nazarite. A Nazarite. What was a Nazarite? The word Nazarite just means consecrated or set apart. But there was a vow. You can read about the Nazarite vow in Numbers chapter 6. There were basically three things. Three things that a Nazarite was to be committed to. The first was to avoid anything with grapes. That means vineyards, raisins, wine, grape juice, grapes off of the vine. Anything grapes. Second is that they were to stay away from dead bodies or carcasses. And the third is that no razor was to touch their head. What's unique about Samson being set apart as a Nazarite, it was for him to be all the way for his entire life. All through his all, all of his life, from birth, he would be set apart and consecrated to God. What does this tell me? It tells me that God has something very, very special in store for him. So he was to be a Nazarite. 
Also, Samson, number four, is that Samson would begin Israel's deliverance. It was very specific that this boy would be raised and begin the deliverance of Israel from from the Philistines. It wouldn't be completely accomplished until David's time. So this was the beginning of God's deliverance. And then the fifth is that Samson was empowered by the Spirit of the Lord. And this is really significant. These are some of the exploits that we become very familiar in in Samson's story. He tore a young lion apart with his bare hands. He stripped 30 Philistine men of their clothes. Now that's kind of weird. But he probably killed them. But he's took their clothes from them. He tied, the, I love this, he tied the tails of 300 foxes or jackals together, put a torch in their tails, and then sent them out through the grain fields to burn up the Philistines' crops. I think that's, how do you catch 300 foxes? I've never seen 300 foxes, but he caught 300 foxes. He killed 1,000 Philistines with a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and then he tore off the, I like this one too, he tore off the city gates of one of the cities of, of the Philistines and carried it up onto a nearby hill. You know, just, these are great, these are great things. Why would you not, as a kid, reading this stuff, going, this is the greatest thing in the world. It's so much fun to read about Samson and all that he did. But what is so significant about this is exploits. Sometimes we think of Samson as being this bodybuilder type of guy. Now, the scriptures are not, they don't tell us whether he was or whether he wasn't. What they do tell us is that he was empowered of the Spirit of the Lord to do what he did. It was not required that he would be somebody that was a physical giant. It was the power of God in his life that accomplished what God called him to do. The same is true for us. It's the power of God in our lives that sets us apart to do what God calls us to do. He will equip you accordingly, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that. Charles Spurgeon said of Samson, he said, his whole life is a series of miracles and follies. You see, Samson, although these exploits are incredible, and he was set apart by, from birth to be a Nazarite, and he had an incredible touch of the Spirit of God in his life and raised in, so, in such good ways, he was powerful at some times, and he was weak at others. There's a, there's a word that somewhat describes that, and it's the word uh, oxymoron. The word oxymoron means it's a combination of contradictory or incongruous words. It's like, how, it's like jumbo shrimp, long shorts, or powerfully weak. And that's really what Samson was. That's a good word to describe him. But yet, Samson was one of God's guys. He had great things and he had failures. But in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 32, and we've referenced this passage a number of times, but just a, one more time. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, and who? Samson and Jephthah. You see, he is one of God's guys. He was set apart to, do, to, to deliver God's people from the Philistines. But he had some challenges along the way. For a few minutes, I want to talk about four thoughts that I, I, I trust will help us as we navigate our journey of faith. The first is this, Samson neglected his godly heritage. When you read the story of Samson, his parents were godly folks. They raised him to fear God. They raised him in the worship of Israel. He knew, he knew the God of Israel. 
as best as his parents could communicate that to him. It was his heritage. He had a godly heritage. A number of years ago, I picked up a quote from Dennis Rainey. Dennis made this statement. He says, the heritage you've been handed is not as important as the legacy you leave. He was handed something great. But what he passed on wasn't as great. You see, he neglected. He neglected his heritage. In some respects, he, he seems to have overlooked it. They, his parents had implanted in him some godly things, but he just didn't seem to live up to it. He, he went counter to, to what he, how, or how he had been raised. You see, what we've been given, now, if you've grown up in faith, and I'll just use me as an example, I've grown up in faith, and I have a wonderful heritage, and I'm, I'm deeply grateful for that heritage, but I believe that God has called me to leave more for the generation yet to come than what I was given. Not to just sit back and say, well, I've got something so good, and I'll just, I'll just kind of live that out. No, I'm called to leave something greater than what God gave me. It's really for all of us the same. I don't want to neglect my heritage. The reality is, is that God has given me everything that I need so that I can build, I can build upon what was given to me. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. By his divine power, verse number 3, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. We have all that we need. Jude, Jude verse 20 says, but you, dear friends, must continue to build, look at this, to build your most holy faith, for your benefit. You see, we are not to just sit back on the heritage that we have received, but we are to take the heritage and build upon what we've given so that the next generation experiences more than we have ever experienced. So how do we do that? Two thoughts. The first is we need to build our faith through consistent spiritual practice. I know I say this a lot, but it is one of those deep abiding, deep abiding values of my life. We need to be people of the word of God. We need to be people of prayer. We need to be people who worship God corporately. Paul says of, said to Timothy, speaking of the word of God, he said the word of God is useful. It's useful. Then he goes on and he lists how it's useful. Let me encourage you. I don't know. Some of us are morning people and some of us aren't morning people. I get that. But can I encourage you, in one, at least one area of your life, be a morning person. Let the first thing you do in the morning, spend time in the Word of God. Before you open up your emails, before you check social media, before you do anything else, open up the Word of God and spend even just two or three moments in God's Word and your day will be different. Start that way. Let it, be, let it become a regular part of who you are. Build that each and every day. Be a person of prayer. January 6th, beginning of the year, we're, we'll start our 21 days of fasting and prayer. Don't wait until then to pray. and Don't wait until then, certainly. We can start now. But the point is we're going to dedicate the first three weeks of 2019 to prayer and fasting. And I want that to be something, we're going to do that each and every year, but my point of saying it is, I want this to be a driving factor of our life. It needs to be a driving factor of who we are as a church. We are to be a church of prayer, but we're to be people of prayer. Be a person who, who invests, who, who 
spends time with God in his word and in prayer and then worship. There are certain things that happen in this corporate gathering like we are today. And I want to applaud you for being here on a Sunday. There are things that happen in this place when we are together that happen nowhere else. I worship on my own. I worship in my car, in my house, in my walk. I, I worship in, a, in every environment. But there's something that happens here that happens nowhere else. And I want to encourage you. Let this be a priority of your life. I said a few minutes ago, I, I, grew, up in, I grew up kind of on the second row of the church. And I will tell you, every time the doors were open, <laughs> now I know, I was the pastor's kid. I had to be there. I get it. But I'm telling you, I had to literally have a, a, a leg that was hanging by a thread. I had to be so sick that I couldn't lift my head up. I was in church all the time. And I'm grateful that I was. I believe I stand here today because my parents invested in me the, or gave to me the value of worshiping together with other believers. It was more than just something I had to do. It was my life. And I want to encourage you, let this be a priority. Hebrews chapter 10, it's a familiar verse. It says some people have gotten out of the habit, and this is the, the contemporary English version. I love the way they phrased it. It says some people have gotten out of the habit of meeting for worship. But we must not do that. Notice that. We must not do that. There's a reason that the writer of Hebrews says what he says. He goes on. He says, we should keep encouraging each other. This should be a regular pattern of what we do. Especially since you know that the day of the Lord's coming is getting closer. This should be even a more of a priority of our lives. Why? Because we need to be strong in our faith. And I will tell you, you can say, well, Pastor Gary, I can worship at home. Yes, you can. I understand that. I do. But what happens in this place happens nowhere else. Now, you say, that's a little radical. No, it's true. When the people of God gather together and they raise their voices in worship and in praise, the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit visits us in ways that it happens nowhere else. And I want to be in the middle of that. And I want you to be in the middle of that. I want your children to be in the middle of that. I want your grandchildren to be in the middle of that. I want you and I, as the people of God, to pass on something greater than we were given. I was given such a great heritage, but it's not enough to pass on. I want to pass on something greater to my children and to my grandchildren. And for as long as I can, I want to invest in that next generation. And that should be on each of our hearts. To build, to build our faith through consistent spiritual practice. And the second part of that. We build our faith by remaining relationally connected. And that's another part of the dynamic that happens when we gather. A couple of weeks ago, I made this statement that I like my alone time. And I do. I like being alone. I, you know, we all, I think, have alone time. But, you know, there comes a point when you move from being alone to being isolated. And when you're isolated, that's not a good thing. Isolation causes issues. And it's interesting when you talk about Samson. Samson doesn't appear to be connected, really. There really was no one in his life. Every other judge rallied the people of Israel together. Samson did everything on his own. He was a loner. That's not a, that's not a good thing. 
It's not a good thing. We need others to walk with us in our journey of faith. I need others to walk with me in my journey of faith. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 3 says, don't think, don't think you're better than you really are. This is one of my life verses. Don't think that you are better than you really are. You must see yourself as you are. It's not that we, we take this low opinion of ourselves, but you know something? I need to acknowledge who I am and realize that I cannot do this journey of faith on my own. I need people to walk with me. We need people to walk with us. So let's build our lives. Let's build our lives of faith and not compromise them. Samson neglected his heritage. Let it not be said of us. Second thought is that Samson disrespected his Nazarite vows. He disrespected his Nazarite vows. This is really significant to me. He was set apart from birth to be a Nazarite. Now remember, no, nothing to do with grapes. Nothing to do with dead carcasses and nothing to do with, you know, leave, my, leave the do alone. Okay, that's, not the, way, that's the way it's going to work. So what do we see Samson doing? The first time we see Samson, we see him in a vineyard. In a vineyard. He's not supposed to be there. And then we see him tearing a young lion apart and then coming back to that young lion and doing what? A dead lion and scooping honey out of a carcass. Later on, he will take a fresh jawbone of a dead donkey to kill a thousand. So you're looking at this and say, wait a second. He is violating these, he's violating these commitments, this He's not following through on these commitments that he's made. In fact, he's still accomplishing good things for God in the same time he's violating these commitments made. And then Delilah comes into the picture. And what does Delilah do? Shaves him, shaves his head. He, he, he disrespected this vow. Now, why is this important? Jesus would say that in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything apart from that comes from the evil one. In other words, don't make vows, don't make oaths. But the reality is all of us in this room this morning have made a commitment to God at some point in our life. If you're a follower of Christ, you came to a moment in time where you committed your life to Christ. You made a declaration. Are we, being, are we remaining faithful to that commitment made? And, and as time goes forward... There are other commitments that I've made to the Lord. I, I, can't even, I can't even begin to tell you how many times I have said to the Lord, I will do. I will be. I will go. I will whatever. I will. I will and I will. How often have I not followed through on those commitments? You see, Ecclesiastes, Solomon helps us. He says, when you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through. For God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to him. Yikes. Can I just stop there for a second? I think I failed there somewhere. Don't raise your hand. Anybody else with me on that one? Keep all the promises you make. Wow. It's better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. Don't let your mouth make you sin. Samson was set apart from birth, consecrated to God, but he disrespected that commitment. God help me that I don't disrespect the commitments that I make to God. I'm going to make a commitment to God. I want to follow through on that. 
Third thought is that Samson just played with sin. So, so let's recap. He, he neglected his godly heritage. He didn't build his faith as he should have. He, he disrespected this, the commitments made to be a Nazarite. And now he just plays with sin or toys with sin. When we read in chapter 14, here's, what, here's how this whole story starts with this phrase, I have seen a Philistine woman, now get her for me. That's how it starts. In 1965 through 1968, Lost in Space was a TV program. 80, I think 84 episodes ran. And there was a wonderful little character. His name was Will Robinson. And Will Robinson had a friend, the robot. And you can see on this caption what the robot would say to Will Robinson. And he would do this. Danger, Will Robinson, danger. And his arms would move kind of corny. It was as corny as it could possibly be. But you know, when you're 10, when I was, I, I was, I was, I just gave my age away. I was 10, 11, and 12 when I was watching Lost in Space, and I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. It's, cor- it's corny now, but it was cool then. But you know what's sad? Is that there was no one in Samson's life to say, danger, Samson, danger. You're walking down some pathways that will lead you to destruction. Think about it. He started off by saying, I've seen a Philistine woman, now get her for me. The next time we see him, he's visiting a prostitute. The third time we see him, he's with Delilah. What? He's playing with sin. There's no one to speak into his life. There's no one to check his mail. And he just, for some reason, the power of his, of his physical being, the experiences that he's had, has somewhat made him to feel, the only way I can say it or, or think about it, that I'm oblivious. I, I'm not going to be affected by this whatsoever. I can do this. I can make it happen. I can get away with this stuff. Reality is he couldn't. And I read this verse last week, but I believe it bears reading again in James chapter 1. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled. If you look at Samson's life, that's exactly what happened. Exactly. So how do we respond to that? There are three different ways to respond. First is this. We need to be aware of our vulnerabilities. And I'm going to read you a long passage of Scripture, but I just, I'm, going to read, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to read it fast. So hang on, all right? So just buckle up, and here we go, all right? Judges chapter 16, beginning at verse number 4. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. 
So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, you have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He said, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. And he snapped the ropes off his arms. Delilah then said to Samson, all this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, if you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with a pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took seven braids of his head, wove them to the fabric, and tightened them with a pin. Again, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep, pulled up, pulled up the pin in the loom with the fabric. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such, na- listen to this verse, with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it, so he told her everything. No razor's ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more. He's told me everything. After putting me to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair, and so his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Make no mistake, it was not his hair. It was the Spirit of God. It was the neglect of his godly heritage. It was the disrespect of the vow that he had taken before God, not following through on the commitment. It was now he is toying with sin. I'm above it all. I'm oblivious to it. It's not going to affect me. I can handle this. I can do this. I'm strong. Look at what I've done. It's a very sad chain of events. There's no other way to say it. It's just sad. But honestly... Can this guy get a clue? First of all, he's hanging out with a Philistine woman who is his enemy. Now, I know God raised him up to be a a thorn to the Philistines. And there's these things that God has brought into the equation. I understand that. Read the story for yourself. You'll see it. But the guy's a block of wood. Really? Come on. And she, I love this, this phrase. And she prodded him again and again and nagged him to the point that he was sick to death of it. They get up and walk away. Right? Just leave. Now, before we're too judgmental of Samson, we just got to take a look in the mirror. Just the reality. Because there are times when I don't get it. At least that's kind of what could be described. You see, Satan is less likely to, to tempt us in the areas of our strength. He will focus in on our weaknesses. And bear in mind, he knows exactly where you are weak. And he will nag you to death. And he will prod you day in and day out. He will keep his thumb on that one particular area and he will not relent. Bottom line. And all of us, all of us in this room this morning have a Delilah. All of us do. 
And you and I know exactly what that Delilah is. Let's get a clue. Let's wake up. We dare not toy with sin. Sin will bring death. The second thing we need to do is to be accountable to someone. I've already addressed this a little bit. Be accountable to someone. I have individuals in my life that I'm accountable to. I want them to hold my feet to the fire. I want them to check my mail once in a while. Why? Because I cannot walk this journey alone, nor do I want to walk this journey alone. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Ecclesiastes 4, 12, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. James 5, 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Get in a group, become accountable to someone, be on a team, do something, walk with people, serve with someone. Allow others to speak into your life. Be accountable to someone. Three, and I love this, trust a faithful God. You see, broken people, the title of this series, Broken People, Faithful God. When I'm broken, God remains faithful to me. It doesn't mean that I can just live however I want to and just ignore. No, 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 no. That's not what we're saying. But God will remain faithful. Listen to what Paul says, the temptations in your life, 1 Corinthians 13. Your temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is what? Faithful. Hallelujah. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. And just this phrase, when we do what we can do, God will do only what he can do. God's going to come through on our behalf, but we have got to take a step forward. So you look at Samson. He neglected his godly heritage. He disrespected his his Nazarite vows. He he just didn't follow through on the commitments made. He toyed with sin. And it really led to him finishing poorly. Samson finished poorly. You know, I wonder if you have anybody willing to confess with me that you have any unfinished projects around your house. Yeah, thank you. So that makes me feel so much better to know that you're here today. God bless you. I appreciate you more than you know. Because my wife is shaking her head, yes, we have unfinished projects. You need to get them done. Well, Henry, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, he made this statement. He said, great is the art of beginning, but greater is the art of ending. It's true. It's about finishing well. I want to finish strong. I ran, I had to run cross country in high school, and I hated every minute of it. There was nothing, there's nothing fun about running that far. I know we have some runners in the house, and I, God bless you, I love you, you're great, you're wonderful, but I don't, forget it. All I wanted to do was, and the reason I had to run cross country is because I played basketball. So all the basketball players had to run cross country. That was just horrible. Well, I remember one particular cross country meet. And I was, I, I just, I hated it. And I'm just thinking, when can I just, in, I'm just going to endure this thing and finish. I just want to get done. I want to get done. So I'm just doing my thing. And people are passing me and passing me. And I'm coming down about the last maybe 150 yards or so. And I'm thinking, 
I'm not going to let this die behind me, finish ahead of me. So for literally, for the last 150 yards, I sprinted with everything I had. And I'm thinking, now where was all that energy like before? Why, why did it all come out now? Here was the reason. There were people watching. My coach was watching. And I wanted to finish strong. I want to tell you something. Our coach is watching. Not in a bad way. In a good way. He wants us to finish strong. Now, does it mean that I, I shouldn't expend more energy through all of that race? Well, of course. I needed to do better in the race. I needed to prepare myself better in the race so that I could be stronger the entire race and still finish strong. You see, that's what is building our faith. Why we're going to do we're going to be consistent in our spiritual practice. We're going to be account. We're going to do these things so that our we're sustained during the course of the race, and we finish strong. Listen to Judges chapter sixteen, verse twenty-three. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their god and to celebrate, saying, "Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands." While they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. And, they stood among him the, and when they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars and support the temple. About 3,000 men and women were watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, Bracing himself against them, he, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he pushed with all of his might, and down came the temple of the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. He had led Israel for 20 years. Now you look at that, and I remember this story as a kid saying, oh man, that's just, that's so intense. They blinded him. He was a spectacle. He was humiliated. He's been treated like an animal. He was a he was a circus act. He was humiliated. That's where sin will leave us. Blind and humiliated. Wounded at every level of our life. When it's left unattended. So he asked his servant, he says, put me where I can, the two main pillars. And then he prayed, Sovereign Lord, look at this. Sovereign Lord, remember me, please God. Strengthen me just once more. If he had stopped there, if he had stopped there, but he didn't. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. What? What about for the glory of God? What about for the honor of the Lord? What about for the deliverance of his people? For my eyes? Selfish. It's about me. Don't mistake. Make no mistake. Samson is one of God's guys, and he's in the hall of fame of faith. But this is not a particularly good way to finish. He finished poorly. He didn't finish catastrophically, and he didn't finish well. He finished poorly. You see, Samson's a reminder of how not to finish. You know, at going down in a blaze of glory, that's the stuff that 
movies are made about. I don't want to go down in a blaze of glory. I want to go down to the honor and glory of God. In how I finish this race, let God be honored and glorified in my life. That I'm passing on to the next generation something greater than it was given to me. The other night I happened to watch the movie Paul the Apostle of Christ. It's a great, it's a great film. It really is a great film. And this is a semi-spoiler alert, but it's written in Scripture, so it really isn't a spoiler alert. You can read it. Paul dies in the end. Okay, there you go. As he was on his way to execution, and as a Roman citizen, the execution would be beheading. And as he is walking to where he would, where his life would end, these are the words. These are the words that you can hear in the background of the movie. I have fought a good fight. I've finished the race. And I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. I want to tell you, that's how you finish well. You say, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. Let that be what's on your heart and in your lips. Let that be what you pass on to the next generation as you protect the heritage that God has given to you. You say, well, I didn't come from a heritage of faith. Then the commitments that you have made as a follower of Jesus Christ, pass that on to the next generation. I have not toyed with sin. I have not played with sin. But I have confessed. I have repented. I have lived my life according according to the power and the presence of God in my life, and I will finish strong. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. Let that be how we finish. Let that be how we finish. Robbie Zacharias said so well. He said, beginning well is a momentary thing. Finishing well is a lifelong thing. Something that we do for our entire lives. So we bring our time to a close and we bring this series to a close. I just was asking the Lord even this morning and saying, God, what would, you, what would you have me just leave with the folks that takes us in through the remainder of this month and the celebrations that are ahead? And a, what would you have me say? I think back over what I've shared for the last 40-some minutes. Think about the heritage that I have as a, as a person of faith. I'm grateful for that. Maybe you have that same heritage. It's powerful. Don't minimize that. It's a great heritage. You say, Pastor, I didn't grow up that way. I, I've come to faith recently, or maybe the last however many years. Then honor that commitment that you made. That declaration of faith in Christ. Honor it. Live up to it. Not for anybody to see other than God to see. I do this for you, Lord. Receive all the honor and glory of my life. Be glorified how I live. Make a new declaration even today. I'm not going to toy with sin. I'm not going to play with it. The enemy puts his finger on stuff in my life all the time. And I know exactly what it is. It, he nags me. He prods me. But I, the power, the Holy Spirit of my life, I'm going to live above it. 
I'm going to be faithful to the commitments made. I'm going to build my life of faith. I'm going to be. I'm going to know what my vulnerabilities are. I'm going to be accountable. To, I'm going to do this. That's the race I'm running. And I'm going to finish strong. So with that in mind, I came back to the theme verse of Judges. It's Judges chapter 21, verse 25. It's the last verse. The last verse of the, of the book reads, In those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Let it not be said of us that we just do what seems right in our own eyes. That will lead us nowhere good. But building upon the heritage that we have, remaining faithful to the commitments that we've made before the Lord, understanding our vulnerabilities and putting things in place that we're able to put those to rest and with the determination to finish well, then yes, Lord. So here's a prayer that I wrote this morning. Let us live mindful of Christ. Let us live mindful of Christ in our lives, never forfeiting His grace, or never forfeiting the grace of God, and never taking it for granted. May our lives be characterized by joyful obedience, careful reflection, sincere confession, godly repentance, and determined resolve to live faithfully as fully committed followers of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that these words would be more than just words, but they truly would be a prayer. I want to live mindful of you. Lord, when there's conviction of sin in my life, I want to godly, in a godly way, repent. And I want to be reflective in the ways that are right. I want my life to honor you in all things. I want to depend upon your grace, but never take it for granted. So Lord, I pray that as we just share this prayer, that that would be the prayer on all of our hearts this morning. I give you thanks in Jesus' name.